0: morning. Uh, As Rose said, my name is Timothy, one of the pastors here. Excited to be with you all at this 9 a.m. service and excited to open up God's Word together. Uh, This morning we are continuing in our summer sermon series, which we have entitled Sacred Practices. Uh, The aim of this series is that we all might grow and our understanding, uh, but not just understanding, hopefully as well in the application of these eight sacred practices that we uh, have chosen to highlight this summer. Uh, These practices that the church has been using for thousands of years to help cultivate a greater heart of love for God and love of neighbor. Uh, So this morning, the sacred practice that we're going to be looking at Uh, Is prayer. And I don't know about you, but uh, I think for myself, I often feel like prayer feels a lot like exercise. Um, And what I mean is that we think about prayer in terms of we all know that we should be doing it more. Uh, It feels really good after we do it. Uh, We often start the new year committing to do it more. And yet, for some reason, I think much like exercise, prayer feels like it's something that it's not as much a part of our life as we'd like. And I, I, like many of you, I'm sure, have read books on prayer. I've heard talks on prayer. I've heard sermons on prayer. Uh, But for me, for the most part, what I've gained from uh, a lot of that prayer Research is really more guilt about how I don't pray enough. And maybe that's just me, but my hope and my prayer this morning is that we would not leave here today with that, with guilt uh, over our prayer lives or the lack thereof. But my hope is that we would leave here today gifted with a fresh perspective on how prayer might have a greater impact in your life, as well as maybe even a renewed desire to grow in this sacred practice of prayer. That's our aim this morning. Our text this morning comes from the book of Psalms, a book of prayers. Uh, We're going to be in Psalm 103, uh, reading verses 1 through 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there, and I'd love to invite you to stand, as is our custom as we give reverence to God's holy and inspired word. This is Psalm 103, a prayer of David's. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Amen, nor repay us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far. Does he remove our transgressions from us? As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We believe your word is true. And we ask that you would now speak to us through your word, uh, that you would meet us here, uh, that we would encounter you, the living God, and be transformed. Father, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A few weeks ago during our weekly staff meeting one of our staff charlie densmore uh, dropped this bombshell of information on our team and i'm pretty sure my life has been forever changed he said great for this that you can use baby powder to get sand off of your body <laughs> did you know that i'm was just blown away mind blown For so long, I thought that baby powder had only one purpose, to to soothe the children's chafed bottom. I had no idea that this multifunctional magical powder could do so much. Prayer is a lot like baby powder. You can put that on Twitter. It's like baby powder in that it has one very... Obvious utility, and that is to communicate our thoughts and our desires to God. It's like an intercom, if you will, between the material world and the spiritual world. Come in, God. We got a problem down here. <laughs> but what I've discovered over time is that prayer, much like baby baby powder, has a good bit more to offer. And before I get into the more, I do want to be clear. I'm not throwing shade on regular old run-of-the-mill intercessory prayer. I'm a big fan of that kind of prayer. Prayers like that are a big part of my life. Prayers before meals. Prayers for my family. Prayers for those who are sick. Prayers for those of you who fill out the Connect card. All really, really good stuff. It's powerful too, right? The scriptures remind us over and over again that God is motivated to action by the prayers of his people. And so I I definitely wholeheartedly commend that sort of prayer to you. However, there's a different kind of prayer or a different way of praying, maybe better stated, a prayer that has a different aim in mind that the church has embraced for many years that, that may not be currently a part of your prayer life. And this kind of prayer is often called liturgical prayer. Prayer that is not freestyle, but rather scripted. And what's interesting about this kind of prayer is that although... There is petition involved in liturgical prayer. It, it clearly involves asking God for things. However, in many ways, the chief aim of this kind of prayer is not petition, but rather formation. It's prayer that's aimed not so much as get, uh, at getting something from God, but rather aimed at one's own life and one's own heart being transformed. And so that's the kind of prayer that we're going to look at this morning. And there's three things that I hope that we walk away with today. First, the precedent of liturgical prayer. The second, the power of liturgical prayer. And then thirdly, the practice of liturgical prayer. So the precedent, the power, and the practice of liturgical prayer. So let's begin now with the precedent. Newton's first law of motion sometimes referred to as the law of inertia states that an object at rest stays at rest and an object in motion stays in motion with the same speed in the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force physics class we're going there now i don't think newton intended for this idea to be taken outside of the realm of physics but i marvel at how this law proves to be true in so many other facets of our world. For example, in my new executive role, I've been thinking a lot about organizations and how organizations are always in motion too. They're either growing or shrinking, becoming more healthy or less healthy, more complex or, or more simple, but, but one thing's for certain, organizations are never static, I think about marriages, how, how couples are either getting closer to one another or, or growing further apart, growing in intimacy or growing in apathy towards one another, but never stagnant. The sphere that I really want to shine light on today, though, is where I think Newton's Law is profoundly rings true, and, and that's with the human heart. The human heart, just like Newton says, is always in motion. It's, it's never static. Our, our longings, our, our desires, our passions, our thirsts they're constantly morphing and changing, sometimes in big ways, sometimes small, but never still. And the reason why this is so is because we are always being formed by something. Or as, as Newton would say, we are being acted upon. Because we don't live in a vacuum. We know this to be true. The air that we breathe, the, the, the water that we are swimming in, i.e. the people that we associate with, the media that we consume, the places we shop, the books that we read, the food that we eat, the city that we live in, the songs that we sing, all these factors are acting upon us, forming and shaping us, forming and shaping our hearts. And, and then to take a step back specifically from prayer for a moment, the reason that the sacred practices exist is that the church is acknowledging that this is true. And therefore, the sacred practices are the church's attempt to manage, to, to, to gatekeep, if you will, the inputs that are coming into our lives, to, to resist allowing the environment that we are in to be the sole author of our formation story. And instead, the church is seeking to offer its own inputs into the human heart. Inputs that form and shape the heart to look more like the heart of Jesus. That's what sacred practices are about. And, and, And prayer has long been one of these sacred practices, one of these inputs that the church has utilized to form and shape the hearts of its people. Let me show you how. Look again with me at our text. Now, I picked Psalm 103 because it's a prayer, but it's not a prayer in a traditional sense. You see, because when we normally think about prayer, we think about the object of our prayers being God, right? Talking to God. But look again at verse 1. David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, God is certainly referenced here, but, but he's clearly not the object of this prayer. The aim of this particular prayer is David's own soul or his heart, as we would say, the control center of his being, the place where his longings and his desires and, and his hopes and his dreams reside. And so, don't miss this, that the aim of this prayer The purpose of David's prayer is the formation of his own heart. But I always thought the the purpose of prayer was to get things from God, right? Baby powder on sand, mind blown. It's important to note, church, that this concept is not uniquely found here in Psalm 103 if you take a step back we can see how incredibly common this type of liturgical prayer has been for the people of God for all of the history of the church. Do you know why the book of Psalms was written? I think the best parallel for those of you who grew up in the church would be a hymnal. The Psalms were not written for private consumption, they were, they were written for temple worship by the Jews in Jerusalem. There's a lot of debate on whether they were actually sung or or simply recited, but the point is the words were repeated over and over again as a part of Sabbath worship and as well as during the the festivals and the feasts that the Jewish people would, would celebrate. So think about that for a moment. When it came to corporate worship like we're doing right now, Rather than encourage his people to simply have a free-flowing dialogue with him through prayer, God instead gave them the very words to pray. We're gonna talk about why in just a minute, but I want you to let that sink in. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, that's the Old Testament. We don't do things like that anymore. Prayer's all freestyle now. But think again about some other familiar passages. What about Matthew 6? Jesus has gathered his disciples on top of a mountain, presumably for his most thorough explanation of what it looks like to walk with him, to live out the Christian life. And and when he gets to the subject of prayer, this is what he says. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. You guys might have heard this before. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Did you catch the instruction there? Jesus says, "Be careful of the freestyle praying." Why don't you try these words on for size? For size. As a aside here, how cool is it that we the church are still praying the very same words that Jesus gave his disciple thousands of years ago? I think that's awesome. One more example I want to bring to your attention when we think about the precedent of liturgical prayers, Acts 2. So the quintessential picture of what the church is supposed to look like, surely they got this prayer thing figured out, right? Well, listen to what may be a familiar passage. Verse 42, it says, and they, the early church coming out of Pentecost, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, it wasn't until few years ago that someone drew my attention to one tiny little word in this verse a word that changed the way that I understood the passage and the word is the Uh, uh, so insignificant of a word that some translations even leave this the out but if you look at the original Greek we see that this the that comes right before prayers is a definite article And for all you grammar nerds, that means that the identity of the noun is known to the reader. That's basically the definition of a definite article. I looked that up. (laughs) So what? Well, what Luke is saying is that the early church devoted themselves not to the general practice of praying, but they devoted themselves to the prayers, that much like the nation of Israel did with the Psalms, much like we do with the Lord's Prayer, with the Apostles' Creed, the early church devoted them to themselves to some prefabricated prayers, some liturgical prayers. So that's the history. For centuries, the church has made it a part of its rhythm to pray these written-out prefabricated liturgical prayers with the aim being the formation of their hearts. Which brings us to our second point, the power of liturgical prayer. What does this type, how and why does this, this type of prayer form us? The answer is that most all formation happens through practice. We talked about this on Wednesday night a little bit, but the aims of our hearts, our affections, our longings, desires, they're not innate. They're not personality driven, but they're learned over time. You learn what you love. For example, I love Alabama football. It is one of my deepest heart affections, second only to Christ (laughs) and my wife and kids, that's right, and my... But was I born a lover of Alabama football? My dad would like to say yes, but that is not true. I learned over time to love Alabama football. I learned by watching my dad love Alabama football, by watching the team play on TV, by by going to games as a a young child, by then going to school at the university. The, The truth is my heart didn't stand a chance. With all these inputs coming in over such a long period of time, my heart was destined to be wed to Alabama football. Spiritual formation is the same. If we input the biblical truth and if we input that truth on a consistent basis over a long period of time, our hearts are destined to be wed to Christ and his kingdom that's how liturgical prayer works. Jamie Smith, author of You Are What You Love, says it like this. He says, learning virtue, becoming virtuous, is more like practicing scales on the piano than playing than, than, than learning music theory. The goal is, in a sense, for your fingers to learn the scales so they can then play naturally, as it were, Learning here isn't just information acquisition. It's more like inscribing something into the very fiber of your being. The orientation of the heart happens from the bottom up through the formation of our habits of desire. Learning to love God takes practice. That's what liturgical prayer is about. It's it's the learning of the scales. It's the daily practice that changes us, not immediately, but slowly, slowly. And surely over a long period of time until the truth of the gospel is inscribed into the very fiber of our being. Now I can sense another objection brewing. You're wondering why doesn't prayer that's of our own creation form us? Do we really have to pray someone else's prayers? Is, is that where the power only is? And the answer, obviously, is no. Freestyle prayer doesn't lack formation entirely. However, I think this quote from Brian Zond is really helpful here. He says, when we leave all of our praying to ourselves, we simply recycle our own personal pathologies, which is a weighty statement. I'm going to unpack that. But what what Zond is getting at is that all of us resonate with the Bible in different ways, we're attracted to different scriptures, to, to different biblical authors, different biblical themes or doctrines. We could all read the same exact passage and we'd come away with 40 different applications. And that is because we have different personalities, different stories, different upbringing, different hurts and pains. And, and it's also because the word of God is living and active and God speaks directly to us individually through his word. That's absolutely true, but because of this reality that we are different people from different places with different perspectives, if we are left to our own devices, if we we pray our own prayers all the time, we are inevitably going to pray through our own narrow biblical lens, through our own particular biblical bent, prayers that are just rooted in our favorite biblical doctrines and the beauty of liturgical prayer is that these prescribed prayers have the potential to give us a much larger biblical lens a more whole bible bent rooted not in our favorite theology but in the theology of the whole bible the theology of the historic church I'm not sure if you've ever been to a place where uh, the Muslim call to prayer is a city-wide event. It's a fascinating, eye-opening experience if you ever have that opportunity. And it used to make me angry because it felt oppressive and manipulative, indoctrinating even. But more and more, I am realizing how much the Muslim call to prayer actually makes a lot of sense. You see, because as we've been talking about, we live in this culture that is seeking to form us, that has its own liturgies, a culture that is regularly and loudly calling us to worship. And because of this, we need to be regularly recalibrated reminded of what we as Christians believe and why we believe it. Which is why I think what the Muslims are doing makes a lot of sense. We have to be regularly praying the truth of our doctrine into our own hearts. Which brings us to our third and final point, the the practice of formational prayer. How do we do it? I think the most simple answer to that question is that we take the truths of God's word and we pray them into our hearts over and over and over again. Why? Because we forget. And the power is in the remembering. Look again at our text, verse 2. David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And it's important to note here that this is poetry, which is why the spacing is, is so funky in your Bible. And, and what the in indentations are signifying is the parallel structure of the poem. And what we know about Hebrew parallelism is that the second line that is indented underneath is almost always a restatement of or, or clarification of the first line, which is exactly what we see here in verse 2. The second line is telling us how to do the first. So then it answers the question, how then do you bless the Lord with all your soul? The answer is by forgetting not all his benefits. The call, verse 2, is to forget not, (laughs) to remember, which seems simple, right? However, we need to recognize that the concept of remembering in the Bible is different and then what we typically mean when we use the word. David is not simply encouraging us to practice mental recall here, but in the Bible, to remember is something far more profound. An example of this is found in Isaiah 51. God says, this is what he says to his people. He says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, the son of man who is made like grass and have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? Now clearly here the problem is not that God's people have literally forgotten the Lord their maker. that They have had some sort of amnesia and and can no longer bring him to mind that has slipped their minds that this God created the heavens and the earth, I'm sure that God's people could recall those facts. And yet God is accusing them of not remembering in a biblical sense. And, and what we see here and throughout the scripture is that when God calls us to remember, he is calling us to embrace something in our innermost being, in our souls, and so what God says here in Isaiah 51 is that he says, that if my people had remembered in the biblical sense, they would have been gripped by these truths in their hearts and they would have been not been afraid of their enemies. The remembering in the biblical sense is supposed to shape and transform our whole being, our minds, our emotions, and even our actions. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, remembering in the Bible is controlling consciousness. It is to have something so central to your consciousness that it affects you particularly and completely, so central that it controls how you act. Uh, Lewis Smedes is a Christian psychologist and author who specializes in marriage, and he has a beautiful way of illustrating this point. I share this with couples in premarital counseling. Smedes talks about how he, his wife has lived with five different men since they were met, since they were married. And he says that all five of those men are him. <laughs> and he's talking about how we all change so much over the course of our lifetime. But then he goes on to share this, and I think this is super profound. He talks about how his wife unashamedly claims that it has been the vows made at her baptism and the vows made on her wedding day that have kept her in it all these years it's those vows that have enabled her to put up with these five different men. Church, don't miss this. When, when Mrs. Smeeds remembers those vows made in baptism and those vows made on her wedding day, she's not simply engaging in mental recall. She's not simply playing back an old memory in her head. She is inviting the truths of those moments to control her consciousness and her behavior, she's allowing her baptism vows and her wedding vows to take root in her innermost being and to shape her from the inside out. The way that we bless the Lord with all that is within us, the way that prayer becomes truly formational, is when our prayer becomes a vehicle for remembering in the biblical sense. When our prayers over time cause the truth of the gospel to grip our innermost being and transform us from the inside out. So, finally, by means of application, I'm going to give you two party favors to take home with you as we try to make this uber practical. The first I want to offer is this piece of paper. You can't have this. This is mine. But... um, We've put this on our website, on the uh, Spiritual Practices, uh, Spiritual Disciplines website tab, uh, and I'd love for you to check it out. Uh, This is a collection of Christian prayers and creeds and confessions. It's called a Liturgy for Morning Prayer. Uh, Daniel and I were introduced this years ago by... Uh, Brian Zahn at his prayer school uh, this is not magical uh, it is there's nothing supernatural about this sheet of prayer however as I have sought to incorporate it into my daily rhythms it has changed my life uh, is it the only liturgy for morning prayer out there no uh, do I get really excited about the idea of this church praying this together every day yes I do I think that would be awesome. Uh, so it's on our website under the Spiritual Practices tab. Bradley is going to add it to the weekly email next week. I'll try to have some printed out copies as well. But my charge for you is try it for six weeks. Uh, withhold your judgment until the end of those six weeks and then shoot me an email and tell me what you think. I would love to hear from you. The other resource I want to commend is this book, Every Moment Holy. Uh, it's just a another, it's a collection of, biblically sound, theologically rich prayers, Uh, prayers for all the things. Uh, And I find it helpful uh, to protect me from simply praying my own pathologies and favorite doctrines over and over again. It's also really helpful when I don't know what to pray or how to pray. Uh, it gives me words. Uh, there's prayers for things like feasting with friends, prayers for birthdays, uh, prayers for my personal favorite, changing a diaper. It's in there. What should you? What do you pray while you're changing a diaper? Uh, all the things. Um, but these are just two resources. Again, not magic, but helpful uh, tools for you to begin to incorporate. Uh, that which the church has been doing for a long time into your life, to begin to embrace these liturgies as a means of praying the truth of the gospel into our souls so that we're being formed and formed more and more in the image of Christ. Amen? The way I want to end this morning is by practicing what I've been preaching. I'm going to pray our scripture over us And I'd like to invite you, we're going to put it up on the screen. I'd like for you to pray along with me in your hearts. Uh, We're simply praying these truths down deeper into our souls. And my encouragement is for you to be reminded of that which we must fight so hard not to forget. And may this reminder enable you more and more to bless the Lord with all that is within you. This is Psalm 103. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these prayers that you've given us when we don't have the words, when we need a guide. God, I pray that you would help us to incorporate these prayers into our lives, our day-to-day lives, that we would lean into the history of the church and the rich liturgical prayers that the church has compiled and written for us over years and years of faithfulness. And Father, would these prayers, as we pray them into our souls, would they help us to remember and not forget who you are and what you've done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.